What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 54 of The Next Byte, and this episode is all about 3D printing. We're talking about how 3D printing uh, will basically change all of automotive design, the performance of marine maritime engines uh, that are, you know, carrying those big shipping containers all across the ocean, as well as, you know, a kind of sneaky, I would call it like the dark horse solution that's using 3D printing to figure out what's going on with food spoilage and grain silos, and then might also take this technology to go explore the moon. I think it's really interesting and all of it's made possible by 3D printing. So let's check it out. Episode 54. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Byte Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. Like we said, this episode, everyone is all about 3D printing, Um, and one of the Best ways, I think, for us to dive into it is first to mention an article from our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. You know, if you've been listening to us, you know they've got a super wide range of, you know, great resources for us to look at in terms of, like, new technical developments. The one that I want to point out right now is one that they wrote about how 3D printing will completely overhaul the way that automotives are designed. So this hits home for me. I work for Rivian, a car company, um, and I love 3D printing. So this is really, really interesting to me. But basically what they talk about is how the manufacturing methods used for most automotive parts. So injection molding, machining, etc., have all these constraints to them. And you can kind of blow the doors off the cabin, so so to speak, in terms of breaking the rules of design if you want to with 3D printing. So you can make geometries that you can't make in any other way, or you can, you know, make things that function in a way that are better than others. And I'm not going to, you know, take all the you know steal the thunder of this article but i think it's really interesting i mean it ties pretty well into the rest of the stuff we're talking about in this article or in this episode as well you know it kind of reminds me of uh the episode with zinger and we talked about how the 3d printer parts for zinger can literally revolutionize the uh, auto industry looks like mauser's already ahead they they got the article out and everything they see the future mauser's got a like super good summary there on how it works and um you know how 3d printing is you know we typically talk about it in uses for prototyping small volume production but they're talking about the benefits of 3d printing that might be used in scale production because of the way that it can you know replace other other methods of manufacturing right i'm gonna you know take a bridge right off that one and launch us into our first article here um 3d printed marine engine parts this is a group out of technical university of denmark led by postdoc student uh, thomas Daman. okay um Basically, the large marine engine of the world's cargo ships are, you know, those are the ones that power all these goods across the oceans, um, you know, taking things from Asia to North America, North America to Europe, all, you know, all around the world. Ships are the main thing, or main mode of transportation by which large volumes of things are brought from continent to continent. As we focus and try to make the world's transportation effort or world's tra- transportation efforts more sustainable, the engines in these, you know, large, huge marine diesel engines in these cargo ships are one of the things we'll have to focus on. Um, trying to make them cleaner, trying to make them more efficient. Um, and they say one of the best ways to do that is to focus on the injection nozzle, which injects fuel into the engine where it is mixed with oxygen to ensure optimal combustion. So just, well, just for clarity here, these massive engines that power these cargo ships, 
I'm guessing they're modeled after like car engines, right? You got the pistons, you're injecting fuel, it combusts with air, and then it moves yeah. up and down, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. T- turns a crank, which you know will end up turning the prop in the back of the ship. Gotcha. Very very similar principles, um, you know. So combustion is actually pretty pretty delicate. So that fuel air mixture. Um, is pretty critical to a lot of the parts of engine performance. So it can massively affect the output power of the engine, the efficiency of it, the amount of emissions that come out, and this is something that's important to focus on um, clearly as we try to make the maritime industry efforts more sustainable, um, as well as the engine lifetime. So all these things can be tweaked or ruined um, by the design of the fuel injection nozzle, that you know one tiny part that sprays fuel into the engine. Um, so this team from Technical University of Denmark is looking at this and saying, you know, how are these fuel injection nozzles made? Can we look at, you know, the design? Are there any flaws? Are there any ways we can improve the manufacturing methods? Well, the main two manufacturing methods for fuel injection nozzles are metal injection molding, MIM, and also machining. Okay. So I'm not going to dive into completely those manufacturing processes, but what I'm going to focus on is a lot of the pitfalls of those manufacturing processes that they see that 3D printing may be able to eventually eclipse. Okay, so that sounds good. For metal metal injection molding, you have to deal with sinking, um, uneven heating and cooling, wall thicknesses, flashes and witness lines. You know that shows where the two parts of the die come apart if there's an ugly line there. Um, also, making sure that the design is cooling evenly versus trying to get metal flow everywhere out through the die. You know metal injection molding. A lot of complexities, a lot of areas for it to fail. And what you have to do there basically is modify the design to accommodate the manufacturing method. Same thing happens with machining. You have to make sure that the tool has access. Um, when you do that, you have to make relief cuts. So, you know, say you're trying to cut a corner, a round drill bit can't cut a sharp corner very well. So you end up adding a curve there. You modify the design based on the tool and the manufacturing method that you're using. And so what they're saying here is 3D printed metal can provide us with opportunities to redesign this very, very important part of ship engines that were not previously possible because, you know, metal injection molding has these constraints, uh, machining has these constraints, and they're saying 3D printing has less constraints. So, you know, like we said, remove some of the rules of design and lets people redesign things in a way that might fundamentally solve the problems better. Yeah, so the TLDR here is that with metal injection molding, you're compromising because your design has to meet the uh, manufacturing process that requires the molten metal to cool the right way to get the right thickness, things like that. And the same thing happens yeah. with machining because now you got to design for these relief cuts and the different processes required for the machining process. So you're never able to get the ideal design. But with 3D printing, you can really get any design you want without having to compromise on anything, right? There, there are some very minor things that you have to think about in terms of 3D printing. It depends on, um, especially with metal 3D printing, on which method you use. Um, a lot of people, one of the leading ones is binder jetting. Okay. And what that means is you print with a metal powder and then also a binder, which is like glue that holds everything together. Mm-hmm. And so when you're printing, you know, not at extra, you know, ultra high temperatures where metal is red hot, the binder is actually the thing that's holding all the metal powder into shape and that geometry that you want and then you go and put it in an oven and all the binder cooks off and what you're left with is metal that fuses together um i actually designed my own belt buckle with our family crest on it that's how i did it with was with binder jetting 
Um, but one of the things you have to focus on there is the parts can shrink up to 20% during oh, wow. the binder jetting. And Which I guess makes sense. The centering process. So there are some complexities to it, but a lot of the main geometrical complexities, you know, in terms of like you can't have a curve that's this shape or you can't have varying thicknesses or you can't have a sharp corner. All these things, you know, that molding and machining might take, you know, say this is impossible. Some of those constraints are removed with 3D printing. Obviously, there's still complexities, but what they're saying is um, a lot of the things that may have held back engineers in the past, they can now look at this now that metal 3D printing is reliable and it's attainable. They can look at the problem again and say, hey, should we redesign this? And that's what they did. So all in simulation, they haven't yet put this into practice and put it in a real marine engine, but they uh, their simulated new design has improved engine combustion um, and they think that it will also uh, remove nitrous emissions from the engine as well. So that would, you know, Interesting. help get rid of the, or min- minimize the greenhouse gas effect coming out of the um, marine engines, you know, that basically their whole job is to run 24-7 from, until they get from point A to point B. That's really interesting. Um, so uh, another thing I have, um, I, I don't know how the, the engine maintenance works for marine engines, but I'm going to take a wild guess, like, do they have spare parts on board? Is, is that something that they would consider if, if you're a massive Yeah, I, I imagine they have to keep spare parts on board because right. you don't want to get stranded in the middle of the ocean. Especially right? if you're like, you know, carrying critical cargo or if you're like a cruise ship that's getting people around the world, like you yeah, don't want to well, be stuck. We, we, saw, we saw the blockage in the Suez Canal <laughs> earlier in 2021, yeah. how that screwed up the entire global supply chain. So, you know, if they didn't carry spare parts before, now they're going to, knowing that if one ship goes down in the wrong place at the wrong time, it could mess everything up. And like, um, in, instead of carrying spare parts, if you're using more 3D printed parts, you could just have the raw material and the 3D printer, and then you can just create whatever is needed. Yeah, on you the could spot. make it part A if you need it, or you can make it into part B or part C if you need it. Which uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, it reminds me kind of of what we talked about on the International Space Station mm-hmm. where they're putting 3D printers on there so that they can 3D print replacement parts if they need to. Exactly. That That's exactly what I was thinking about too. So I think that's super cool. Um, the like, like you kind of said it, the long and the short of it is um, the flow-related nozzle features that allow the fuel to flow through the nozzle um, as well as special high-temperature materials that can't be made, you know, they're too hard to be machined and they can't be made very well through metal injection molding. Um, they can now do this with 3D printing. So they're basically saying some of those constraints are removed in terms of nozzle features and design as well as the materials that they can use. Basically impossible to realize with any other manufacturing process. So they said, you know, if you want something with this level of performance, 3D printing is the only way to get it. And they tried a couple different metal 3D printing methods and they're hoping their next step is to get one of these nozzles into a marine engine and test the efficiency. Wow, that's really cool. I'm I'm not, I don't think... we've ever really covered anything in the marine uh engineering side well i think not that i recall well, actually, actually we, we did like a hydroplane if you remember that was kind of like aerospace slash marine but I, I think this is the first marine dedicated topic we've done and it's so interesting because the way i'm thinking about it is that this might seem like a small change but there are m- maybe hundreds if not thousands of ships working like every single day to move stuff around and any slight improvement for one of those can be applied to all of them and imagine the impact we can have in terms of reducing yeah. greenhouse gas emissions, At, right? In, you know, and increasing the lifespan of those things so you don't have to, you know, put in all that, all those resources into making a new engine, um, you know, 
minor, minor efficiency changes, like you're saying, cascaded across thousands and thousands of ships, it will have a major impact. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's hop into Article 2. And this one is going to take a little bit of a shift. We're, we're going from marine engineering into kind of the robotics agriculture realm, but we're still staying with additive manufacturing. So of course. This one is uh, the subterranean drone that's combat- combating food insecurity. Um, the team is called Crover. So um, Crover is coming out of Scotland, and it was started – the idea was formulated by Dr. Lorenzo Cody – who came up with it during his doctorate research at the University of Edinburgh. So right now, Crover is a team of 25. They're a startup, and their entire goal is to build a robot that can traverse through bulk solids. So think anything that's like powdery or um, like sand and anything like that very efficiently mm-hmm. and non-destructively. And the, 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 one, the first thing that they want to address is food insecurity. So that was kind of weird to me because like I, I didn't yeah. really connect the two dots together at first. But let's let's just hop into it. This is gonna make more sense. So apparently in the world there's this huge issue of grain storage. So people like farmers are harvesting their grains. Obviously, not everyone needs that grain at that exact moment. So they have to store it. There's grain mm-hmm. silos, right? And what happens in these grain silos is that if the temperature and the moisture isn't monitored well you can have infestations of bugs or they can be like growth of mold in different spots and your supply just goes bad how much like great question so we're looking at about 20 to 30 percent losses in most of the world and that bumps up to 50 percent in developing countries goodness gracious so imagine half of all the grain that's harvested just becomes trash every year yeah well i'm I'm coming from a you know hardware manufacturing background thinking you know if you had a manufacturing process where your yield was 50 percent you know you put all these resources and time into money into building things and you have to throw half of them out i'd be saying we'd have to take a serious look at this manufacturing process because we're just Absolutely. burning money here we're burning resources this is super inefficient and here we're not just burning money and resources we're burning you know critical food supply in developing countries absolutely and the number that like was the cherry on top for me is that every year we're use, we're losing 631 million tons of grains. Oh my gosh. So that like at a glance that's already horrifying, but then you think about the land that had to be, you know, um aerated and the seeds that had to be planted and the hours that had to be worked and the time it took for these crops to grow just for them to be wasted because the storage was inadequate. Mm-hmm. So what is the problem? Why is this happening? And it really comes down to the fact that monitoring those parameters is not easy. If you have grain silos, you know, you, you could have sensors at the top that are monitoring the temperature at the top, but that doesn't really give you insight about what's going on in the middle or at the bottom. So then it sounds like you probably need something that can dig non-destructively through a pile of powdery materials. I know it would be great if there was some kind of solution that could do that. Am I right? <laughs> But yeah, you're absolutely right. And just as a side note, if you want to do more of an in-depth analysis of of the storage facilities, they have to use a human to like stand on top of the grain. And that, I I don't, I don't think I need to tell you how dangerous that can be. So it can lead to like, you know, life-threatening accidents or or like, you know, 
Yeah, not good, not great. Yeah, this is like perfect for a robotic solution, and that's what this team has been working on. So, like the robotic solution is called Crover. Um, it, it has this patented design. I'm gonna do my best to describe it, but think like, um, you know those hollow point bullets that that are not just a cone, but they have like sides, uh, mm-hmm. like almost fins. They got fins around yeah. them. So imagine a robot that looks like an egg that has two of those on on the bottom and the top and they're both actuated with independent motors that can spin either way and that's kind of what it is it's it's, it just looks like that it has an umbilical that comes out so that you can feed it into the silo it digs by itself and the different rotations allow it to maneuver um, omnidirectionally without really breaking anything apart so the, the the umbilical this is coming from you and i both tried to do you know the robot projects for our, our capstone projects in college um, where, you know, we, we thought about not using an umbilical, trying to make it uh, wireless, you know, putting all the communications, putting all the power, power supply on there and everything. Then we realized how useful having an umbilical is. Absolutely. Right? You can have basically unlimited power because you're not confined with space. You can have it sitting in a, you know, a huge backpack sitting in a, you know, back of a truck somewhere um, with all the, you know, batteries in it communications are hardwired you don't have to worry about losing bluetooth connection with this thing when it you digs can... through a couple of stories worth of grain and then if something goes wrong you can just use the umbilical to pull it out absolutely you hit it right on the head you're right and uh, what i love about this thing is that it can move all throughout this grain silo and it has these temperature sensors on board and it can give you a 3d map of the exact conditions that it's seeing so It'll go to the bottom. It'll come back up top. It'll maneuver around. The operator can move it however they that's want. That's really cool. And it can do this in, in a in a fashion that's much safer to the human beings that would be doing this otherwise. And it actually moves pretty quickly. I, I don't think they really give a timestamp of how long it takes for it to traverse through the entire, like an average grain silo. But from the videos I was looking at, it moves really quickly. Um, yeah, and it, it to, to some extent, it doesn't really matter how long it takes, right? There's no way safely for people to currently do this today so you're providing a solution that doesn't yet exist there's no competition obviously they're going to try to make it as fast as possible Mm -hmm. you know as a robust solution as they can but what they're doing is you know huge breakthrough here um on making something new that you know solve a problem that's not really been solved well before i I got a question for you though you know this episode's all about 3d printing for us where was the additive manufacturing where does that mix into their secret sauce with this thing you know what are they 3d printing and how does it how is it you know making their solution this much better sure so um all of their products so far they've been doing proof of concepts they've been 3d printing it because the shape is kind of complex and that's the best way for them to make a complex shape without breaking the bank and um, it gives them flexibility in terms of changing the design on the go as they as they need to make adjustments but the next thing i had is like what's you know the so what, what have they accomplished, what does the future look like? They actually competed in the challenge that was hosted by Weevolver and uh, Mitsubishi's MCAM. That's, you and I are familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and they won. They were the winners of this competition. So they got a grant, which which is going to allow them to work with these uh, composite materials that are going to be very stable at high temperature or extreme temperature conditions, which again, you might be wondering, well, why? Like are grain silos really like extreme temperature conditions? The answer is no, but that's not really what where Crover's stopping. Crover's future is actually um, looking up to the stars. And what I mean by that is 
one of the things they want to do with, with this robot is explore the lunar and Martian surfaces because it can go, I, I forgot what the material is called. It's not like sand or powder, but it's apparently it's really good in their analysis and simulation for digging through and exploring in a non-destructive fashion, which would give uh, the astronomers a lot of insight about the surface conditions. So much so that in 2019, they actually joined the European Space Agency's incubator, which gave them some of the uh, fuel they needed to keep this uh, innovation going. Now, I, I want to take a step back real quick and talk about the grain silo application. Dan, you mentioned that the speed doesn't really matter right now because there really is no other solution. Mm-hmm. And you're right, because if it can save some of these grains, that's really all that matters and keep people safe, right? Yeah. Here's their promise. The average grain silo can save approximately 30,000 US dollars every year worth of crops or grains if they use a crover. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And that is I feel like that just like sells itself. I'd be like I am totally on board. If we're if we're losing 631 million metric tons a year, then this is a no-brainer. Yeah. And what I If I'm the average grain silo owner, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. And um, you know, we always talk about how we love great ideas, but we really love great ideas that become something that's commercially viable. So, um, I, I talked about how Dr. Lorenzo Cody, he had, he formulated this idea during his PhD and then there's the startup was formulated and then they competed in TechCrunch, by the way, so you know, we're tech nerds. We like TechCrunch. Um, they competed in TechCrunch and now in 2022, they are planning to release their first commercial product. So the summer of this year that we will see Crovers being deployed. That's pretty cool. And yeah, super cool. It, it, it has, it just took so many like twists and turns for me because at the beginning I was confused about food insecurity. Then I was confused about why would they want a composite material that works in extreme conditions. But that's just because Crover is just a really cool robot that does yeah, so well, many things well. This really humbled me because when you first started talking about it, right, I drew the conclusion to our capstone projects in college, right? Years went a little further than mine. Like you guys won your competition. You, you know, were, you have a pending patent and all this stuff. Um, my solution didn't even work that well, but you know, I was drawing some analogies, right? Umbilical robot doing 3d mapping of an area that's inaccessible to humans. This is projects that both you and I worked on, but this team, um, you know, took that to the max, right? This exactly. super talented team, 25 based out of Scotland, I'm hearing all these buzzwords like European Space Agency incubator, uh, startup battlefield at TechCrunch, winning the Weevolver and MCAM competition. Um, these are like, I really, really admire this team for what they've achieved so far. And I'm really, really looking forward to the impact that their solution is going to make in the world. I, I, I'm so with you. As I was reading this and I, I was watching their TechCrunch um battlefield video that they had and i was like this is so cool like they they're really doing it this is the dream you come up with a great idea and then you work with a talented team to make it happen i'm rooting for them i'm so excited to hear more about what they do and how they leverage this mcam grant and uh yeah let's combat some food insecurity and explore the lunar surfaces yeah it's crazy to me all that a robot to non-destructively dig through powdery materials can do and i'm looking forward to seeing what they do for sure and i think this is a pretty solid spot solid to uh end this episode (laughs) on and uh yeah i I hope everyone enjoyed and please if you haven't already and you're a spotify listener 
take a moment after this episode to give us a rating and let us know what you think about this podcast. Are you enjoying it? Are you still enjoying it in 2022? We hope you are. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, email, LinkedIn, literally anything. Smoke signals. Carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. Smoke signals. Yeah. Yeah. With your feedback. Flashing something shiny in the sunlight from really far away. All the above. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.